0: You're listening to audio from Hope Fellowship Church of Jaffrey, New Hampshire. If you'd like to check out more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit hfcnh.org. So today, uh, Pentecost Sunday, let, let's just look. Uh, I'm going to jump right into Acts chapter 2 and you'll, you'll get a little sense of what we have going here. And then I'm going to be kind of jumping around in different passages regarding the Holy Spirit, maybe a little different of a message than I typically do. Uh, But Acts chapter 2, verse 1, this is what we would know today in the church as Pentecost, even though it was celebrated a lot before, uh, many years before this ever took place. In Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, in fact, just a few weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter one when the, Holy, when the um, disciples and the apostles were meeting in the upper room and they were devoting themselves to prayer and they were waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told them, go to Jerusalem and sit and wait. And we talked about how waiting, that little 10-day period can be pretty hard. And often we're in those places of life where we're told to wait and we're not sure what's coming around the corner. And likewise, they didn't either. But on the day of Pentecost, people would have been coming and traveling to Jerusalem. And so when the day of Pentecost arrived, it says in Acts Acts chapter two, they were all together in one place. Um, Almost every commentator I read says this is most likely the temple. They're all together there in the temple. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages that the Spirit gave them utterance. Amazing. Like that alone right there is just like, what is even going on here, right? Verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. I mean, you can get the, you're getting some of the emotion here. This is just incredible, out of the box, amazing experience. Saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Meaning, how do they know all these other languages? Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in our, his own native tongue or native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and uh, Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. They're just listing off all the different nationalities and people groups and and different cultures that were present there at that time, like tons of different varieties of people, all Jewish people coming to celebrate the Feast of Weeks or or, um, Pentecost. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, so those who have been born Jewish, those who have been kind of grown up into it and and converted into it, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine, or you could say they, they were drunk. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed to them, Men of Judea and all who were in Jerusalem. So Peter is now kind of this voice uh, for the apostles. As God has often used him, even as the disciples, he's often the one who, who speaks for the rest. And so... Peter stands up men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day like it's still early like let's be honest they're not drunk is what he's saying verse 16 and this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel and so what he does is he gives understanding is his understanding through the Holy Spirit has con- give understanding to the Old Testament to what's happening now in the New Testament so now what he's going to do is go quote somebody uh Joel this prophet Joel that was written a long time before this happened and he's going to quote him and he says in Joel 2 this actually happens in Joel two twenty eight, I think it is and he says in verse 17 and in the last days it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh And here's the all flesh, all your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and all your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your male servants, and your female servants. Do you get the the, the whole all people, everybody, (laughs) the poor, the rich, the, the young and the old, the men and the women. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A phrase that we use very often, a phrase that we're maybe familiar with, it's also used in, in uh, Romans as well, but call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. I don't know where else to go, how much further to read. There's so much here and I know I have a lot to go. Um, there is a, there's the rest of the sermon. He goes into chapter two and into chapter three uh, and, and then 3,000 souls are saved and then we see at the end this kind of church gathering in, in verse 42, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers and we see the, the church in its infant stage being birthed in the, on this day. And so on Pentecost Sunday, I I, I want us to think, I want us to focus today on this event and what is actually going on and the Holy Spirit, most importantly. I I stumbled upon a quote uh, this week, I think it was, uh, of a guy, a Puritan writer, John Owen, who wrote this in the 1600s, a long time ago. And he said, this is the great work of the Holy Spirit towards the church. He makes Christ glorious in our eyes. And I think what we find today is I'm hoping to kind of unveil for us today is a little bit of understanding of what the Holy Spirit, who he was in the past, uh, who he was promised to be and, and who he is today in the present and how what, Christ, what, what the Holy Spirit does is reveal Jesus to the world through the church and through your life. And the Holy Spirit never brings attention to himself. The Holy Spirit always directs the attention to Jesus and to Christ, and to the Messiah. And Jesus himself says, I'm leaving so that the Spirit may be with you, the Comforter, the Paraclete." And so Pentecost is this moment in time, this extraordinary event in chapter two where we see this amazing uh, transition or transformation of the people of God by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus is present with his people here now in the ecclesia, the church, the assembly, the gathering, in a whole new way than he was before. In fact, Jesus says, like he said, it is better that I leave you so that the spirit may be with you. It's better that now I can be present among the people of God through the spirit. So he has ascended, he has left, he has gone away. And there's that 10-day waiting period where the apostles are meeting and they're meeting with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and, and the other women and, and the family of Jesus and they're meeting there in the upper room, the 120 there, and they're, they're praying and they're seeking God's face because they don't know what's about to happen and they're not really sure of the game plan. They're a little unsure as to how this is all gonna work. I mean, we look back 2,000 years later and we're like, oh yeah, this is how, how it works, you know? Imagine being there then, unsure as to what in the world Jesus was talking about stay in the city and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you will receive power like what is he talking about and so as they wait as they're studying the scripture maybe it was even in those 10 days where Peter is going over uh, Joel and he reads and he's pour out my spirit and then when it happens he he's given utterance and understanding to these things in a whole fresh new way and so now Jesus is present within his church within his body yeah, within you and me, even today, in a whole new way, after this event, the world has changed forever. And so I think about this. I th- I think about how much this has changed, and and how much, uh, how, really how much we need the Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> I um, I get a sense of that every now and then of how much I need the Holy Spirit. I remember Rhett talking about in his concert last night of how much he needs the Holy Spirit, uh, especially when your flight gets canceled over and over and over. Or, or this week, how um, we've faced, I feel like my wife and I have faced some of the most challenging parenting situations we've ever done. I know some of you are like old hat to so many of you, but those of us who are like in the middle of it, trying to figure this out, you know, it's like, wow, I can't oh boy, I, I need the Spirit of God today, huh? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, you ever felt that? And maybe you're coming in today, you walk through those doors and you're like, dude, I need the Spirit of God today. I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know, sometimes we'll say those phrases, we'll, we'll, we'll think about it, but there are these moments where, where I recognize it is easy, I mean easy, to not walk in the, in the Spirit but to sow seeds to the flesh, and to walk into the flesh, and to uh, fulfill and gratify my most natural instincts apart from Jesus. I mean, it <laughs> it is crazy easy, right? And and so it's it's amazing when we when we just for a moment allow our heart to to be torn away from from our true identity and from what truly has filled us and what we are truly being sanctified for, and, and to remember kind of who we were and to go back into that, it it is, and so there are times when I'm like, I don't know what it is, whether God or the Spirit is just like, hey Jordan, you're preaching on the Holy Spirit on Sunday, and here you go, and (laughs) here's a tough week for you, you know, wasn't it, I don't want to call him out again, it was Lars, right, Lars Savel a few weeks ago got up here at Prayer and Share, and was like, he knew I was getting up here for Prayer and Share, and so he threw some stuff at you this week, right, it's like, you know when you have to get up here week after week, it's like, Dude, I don't know if I could do this, right? And so sometimes it's hard. And so, in my own heart, I'm just like, it's so needed and so important. And 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 yet, I don't know if I fully grasp it and understand it all the time. Maybe you're there with me sometimes. You're just like, I get it but I don't and yet I, I'm in it and then I'm not and I'm just, so so. what I'm trying to do today is, is just be very open with you guys today that we're be looking at passages and, and, and pursuing and trying to understand the work of the Holy Spirit but sometimes I feel like, as soon as I feel like I understand it and I, I'm, I'm grasping at the wind, right, you know? It's kind of, you're trying to grasp it and control it and contain it. Like I've got you in my little box, Holy Spirit, now I understand you. And then i realize, realized, wait a second, where'd it go? It's not in the box, you know? And so I, I think sometimes um, I can tend to be that. And so I'm just, I'm trying to understand what it is from God's word in totality and, and how it interacts with me in my own life and my own day to day. I don't want to rip you away into this theological kind of thing up here and to not let you recognize that there's still the practical outworking of the spirit day by day. So I guess I'm trying to marry both of those things today in some ways, but I want us to look at real briefly to start is just this past Pentecost, meaning this past spirit of God of what it was in the past to the Jewish people and the Hebrew people. Like some of you maybe are new to church. Maybe you're watching online. You're like, I'm not, I've not really been involved in church very much. I didn't grow up in the church. So even hearing this word Pentecost is new to me. Uh, and yet even for some of us who've grown up in the church, we know about Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. But we don't really get that Pentecost was before that as well. Like this was something the Jewish people celebrated for many years. It was a festival instituted by God. Here, There you go. I'm back now. You guys, all right, okay. Um, that was the Holy Spirit saying, "Give it, give it a little bit more, there, Jordan. You know, you got to raise your voice a little bit more." Okay. Um, Pentecost is this thing that was in the past as well. Okay. So in Leviticus, you're like, I read Leviticus all the time. It's my favorite book. Okay. Well, Leviticus 23, uh, verse 16 reminds us of this festival, this feast, the feast of weeks that God has instituted. Leviticus 23:16. You shall count 50 days. Penta, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, when you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. So basically this is like seven weeks after Passover. Very simple. You're like, maybe not. Um, Well, you have the Passover that took place right before Jesus passed away. The Passover lamb was sacrificed on the cross. And so after that event took took place, Jesus uh, ascended and appeared uh, to many disciples and then ascended into heaven and, and then 10 days later, after that whole period, you have 49 days, and then on that 50th day, on the day of Pentecost, when Jewish people were all gathering from all regions, they were gathering there in the temple in Jerusalem, that is the moment God, in time, chose to allow his spirit to fall. And do you think God was just like, well, what day would I pick? I'll just, you know, grab a day out of a hat, and then I'll allow the, the spirit of God to come. No, he chose this day very specifically. It communicates very many different things. Um, today, you might hear uh, Jewish people speak about uh, the, the Feast of Weeks, or uh, I think it's Shavuot, or Shavuot. Uh, and it's this, this weeks is really what the word Shavuot means in, in Hebrew, is weeks. And so it's the feast of weeks, uh, the feast of first fruits. It's often this harvest celebration uh, where on this day, uh, the details of the feast in Deuteronomy and Leviticus detail this significance of of waving kind of a sheave of grain. It would be celebrating the first wheat harvest in that culture. And so they would wave the grain or the, the bread in the air, if you would. And so that would celebrate this first fruits of their harvest would be given to God in a time of feasting and worship. It also celebrated for the Jewish people today uh, a time when God gave his law to the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai. And so today, uh, the Jewish people would celebrate Shavuot as this celebration of both, yes, the, the harvest and God's provision and God's blessing on the land, but also that he has instituted them as a nation and as a people. They were a scattered people. They were enslaved. And then through the exodus, they have been redeemed and brought. And now they arrive at Mount Sinai like, okay, God, what now? You got us out of Egypt. What are, you, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna live according to, your, to you? And, and what, do you, what do you want? And then what does he do? He, he gives them the law and he establishes a covenant with the people of Israel and now they are his people, right? And he is their God. So On Mount Sinai, there's this significance there with the Pentecost that we see this liberation and now a new revelation of the laws in the way in which we interact with God in holiness and righteousness. This is what he expects. And then there is this really, in a sense, in the New Testament, we see this, especially this celebration that occurs of worshiping God and the falling and the pouring out of the spirit of God. So it's, a, it's a, a festival, a feast. There's so many things that are kind of going on here, but I want to kind of get us in that mindset that we think about Pentecost as the coming of the Holy Spirit. The, the Pentecost ushers in this new expansion, this, this um, door that's been swung open to, to its width that's never been experienced before. And the Holy Spirit is poured out in an expanded way to the people of God and not just to the Jewish people but to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. It's expanded, Because I want us to remember that this is not the first time the Holy Spirit gets involved in the story. So sometimes we think about ourselves, yet yes, we are living in a unique time in history where we as the people of God are walking in the power of the Spirit that, that has never been experienced before, but yet, the Spirit of God has been very active from the very beginning. And I think sometimes it's helpful for us to get into this mindset. Like, if you want, you can turn to Genesis 1. Um, Genesis 1. I told you I'm going to be teaching the entire Bible in this summer. So, you know, yeah. Genesis 1. We go back to the beginning. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1. What does it say in verse 2? And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And what? I think sometimes we forget about this and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's a very important phrase. That's the legit the the very beginning of the Bible, all right? So what is the Spirit of God hovering over the waters? Well, this word, maybe you're familiar with this, uh, this concept. I've taught on this before in the Old Testament. The Spirit, that word in Hebrew is ruach, ruach. It means wind. It means breath. It means spirit and it can means all of those things and it can be and depending on the context it can be that ruach in the new testament we see the word ruach in hebrew translated spirit as meaning in the new testament in greek is pneuma so um pneuma this p-n-e you know right that the silent p right you know uh this this pneuma right and, and so, it's one of those words that uh, uh, Ruach and Numa are connected in the Old Testament, New Testament, where we get this understanding of this wind, this breath, this hovering, um, and, and the Holy Spirit here at the very beginning is instituting, is involved, indepthly involved in the creation of the world. The Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters, the presence of and then in Colossians, we see that Jesus was preexistent, existed for by him all things were created and in him all things exist or by him all things exist. And so even Jesus, the Christ, the second person was present there in creation. God the Father was present speaking into existence and the Spirit was there hovering over the face of the waters as it existed there before the beginning. And so we, we understand this to be the Trinity, the Trinity of God. And as God unfolds himself throughout the Bible, we see him expanding this vision of the spirit as time goes on. And, and yet often in the Old Testament, what we see is God hand picking and hand-selecting people and leaders and judges and kings and priests to be filled with the spirit and to bring either prophecy or his word or to bring revelation and understanding or leadership or guidance to the people of God you often saw maybe not just a whole swath of people like you see and experience an expansion there in Acts 2 but you see individual people selected that this person was filled with the Holy Spirit in fact Moses was full of the Holy Spirit it says and then he himself gives understanding of what he wishes and hopes to see one day he longs to see something amazing happen which Moses would have loved to see Acts chapter 2 because in Numbers 11.29, way back, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So in Numbers 11.29, Moses said to them, are you jealous for my sake? Meaning, are you jealous that I have the spirit? He says, would that all Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on all of them. Like he, he's like, oh, would I long for the day that only I was not filled with the Spirit, but so many others. In fact, God does empower and spiritually empower other elders and leaders in the Israelite nation to be filled with the Spirit. He empowers others, even in the Old Testament, to uh, create uh, craftsmen are filled with the Spirit in order to craft some of the furniture that was in the Ark of the the Covenant and the Tabernacle. And and so we see God doing this, like judges like Samson, and and a variety of others like David, and, and even Saul was full of the Spirit, and then there's a movement, when he disobeys and leaves God's will that the spirit leaves him and fills David as the anointed one who's gonna lead the nation and so what I'm saying is let us get into the perspective that what happens in Acts chapter two is not normal it's extraordinary and yet we have seen the spirit working and willing his desire and we get glimpses of it in the Old Testament glimpses of Acts chapter two like it shouldn't have been a complete surprise and in fact Peter when it happens it's not a complete surprise for him because he quotes from where? In Acts chapter 2, we read it. What little book? It's a minor prophet. Probably don't read it very often. And in fact, if I ta- asked you to turn to it in a paper Bible, so many of you would get that anxiety feeling of like, I don't know where that little tiny book is, right? You ever been there? Minor prophets, you just get lost. You're just hoping, Lord, please help me find this thing, right? But in Joel chapter 2, although some of you are like, I haven't used a paper Bible in years. You know, you use it on your phone. Okay, you cheaters, right? Um, But Joel chapter 2, we read it. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. We get this. This sense of there will be a day when, like, everyone who believes and calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and subsequently will be filled with the Spirit. Like, what? This is extraordinary, and Ezekiel is another book that you probably could find easier um, because it's one of the longest books in the Bible. But Ezekiel's not a a book that we often look to or go to very often, and so if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Ezekiel 36 to 37. I didn't give the verses here to the booth because I'm gonna be all over the place in these chapters and they'd be having a hard time keeping up with me. I don't know if that's a dare for the booth or anything or not, but Ezekiel 36 and 37, go there with me. 37 you're going to be very familiar with there's there's a passage in there the valley of dry bones you're like oh i've heard that before 36 maybe not so much uh, but let's look at um, ezekiel 36 verse 24 verse 24 ezekiel 36 and we're going to see uh the 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 prophecy of acts 2 what we experience in acts 2 has not it's not a surprise and yet it's extraordinary in the way that it's happened it's extraordinary in the way it's happened, and yet we have seen this prophesied before. We have seen God do and work in this way before, uh, or, or prophesy that this will happen. And, and so it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Look at Acts 36, verse 24, and we're going to read uh, kind of a vision where God is, is, is speaking through uh, Ezekiel. And giving him things to say in here in Ezekiel 36 and 37. They're connected here in 36. We see him speaking. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries. This is verse 24 of Ezekiel 36. And bring you into your own land. I will look, look at this, sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Okay. And then verse twenty six. Look at this. Like we use this terminology in the New Testament all the time, but maybe not something as familiar here to them in the, in those days. Verse twenty six. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, not not of sinful flesh, but of tenderness, of, of living flesh, beating alive versus cold dead stone. Verse 27, and I will put my, capital S, spirit, Ruach, within you and cause you to walk in my statues and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. What a beautiful relationship we experience there with God. That's, that's this, I know you have struggled with idol worship and uncleanliness, but I'm gonna do something about that. I am going to give you a new heart and a new ruach, wind, spirit, numa, life. A new desire within you I am going to implant inside of you. So now that you will be able to keep my rules in this sense, right? You will walk in my statues. There's this moral sense of it as well. I'm not giving you new life so you can do whatever you want with it. I'm giving you new life so you can be and work and and become more like me. And as you are sanctified in holiness and walk in his spirit, right? And then he goes on and gives very very descriptive elements of of what it will even look like for the land and the world to be recreated and be made new. That The the desolate places, the places that are dry and dead will be coming to life and will be giving growth like a garden grows and bears fruit. So too will your land and so will you as a people. These are what he goes on to describe. You can read that in your own time. And he says, I'm gonna walk in these statutes and there's so many beautiful parallels we see here to in the New Testament, Acts chapter two, coming, the spirit then filling the people of God there and being saved and a miraculous thing occurring, right? And then we, we, look, at, um, we look at this cleansing that takes place, the land is being grown and then we see in chapter 37. I want you to read with me. Now, I, I know again, I... I um, I only have so much time and I know reading lengthier portions of scripture can be hard to kind of stay focused so I'm gonna read some section here but I, I can't I don't wanna just explain it the, the book of Timothy reminds us to devote ourselves to the public reading of the word and to the exhortation and teaching so not just the exhortation and me teaching about the Bible but that actually when we gather we literally read the Bible I feel like that's kind of important okay so sometimes yes I don't have time and I'll just exhort you and teach that but I do wanna read this passage because it is a many of you have heard it many of you haven't and that's what I also like about church some of you are like never heard this passage it's really cool because this is also a pretty crazy passage Ezekiel 37 you haven't read it look at this verse 1 the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit right spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley it was full of bones wow whole valley full of bones. Verse 2, and he led me around among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry white bleached bones you could say. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? And I think even in sense, even today, uh, we ask ourselves as son of man, is God, as God can these bones live? And in your heart I think there's a moment in all of us that we have to get into that point. is Are we recognizing? Is Can the spirit of God live within us and make what's dead inside of us come to life. Can he really bring beauty from ashes? Like God, are you really capable of this? Like do I believe, do I have faith to trust in you to actually make these bones live? Because I'm not sure if I do. And you can almost see as the story pauses there for a moment, can these bones live? And it's like a cliffhanger. And then he says in verse four, and he said to me, Oh, no, sorry. He says that at the end of verse 3. And I answered, O oh, Lord God, you know. You know. I don't. Verse 4. And he said to them, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath. You recognize that word? Breath. Ruach. It's the same word. Ruach, wind, spirit. I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews, okay, flesh, musculars upon, muscle, well, musculars, muscle upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin. So now they're looking like bodies and put breath, there it is again, ruach, in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound. Does that also sound familiar? What happened in Acts chapter two? There was a Sound of a mighty rushing wind in Acts chapter 2, was there not? Here we have this sound of, behold, a rattling, kind of this whirling of rattling and, and bones came together, bone to its bone. And, and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them. There was flesh that has come upon them. The skin had covered them. This is nuts. <laughs> and then there was what? No breath in them though. As just bodies, crevices, vessels. No breath, no ruach in them. But then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, to the ruach, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain. Are you, are you getting the concept yet? And that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Wow, active for serving God right and then verse 11 and he said to me son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel behold they say our bones are dried up our hope is lost indeed we are cut off therefore prophesy to them and say thus says the Lord behold I will open your graves and I will raise you from your graves O my people I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves on my people verse 14 and I will put my spirit within you wow and you shall live and I will place you into your own land and then you shall know I am the Lord I have spoken I might get around to it, maybe if I do it. No, (laughs) I will do it, declares the Lord. Can these bones live? The ruach filling these dry bones, filling them from the core and bringing life to what was dead. The spirit of God that hovered in the waters that hovered in the beginning. We see also a, a parallel there in Genesis 1-2. We see in Genesis 2-7 that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and did what? Breathed into his nostril the ruach of life and man became a living soul, this numa body, spirit, right? And then... This also is experienced by the apostles in a unique way. In John 20, we see the same kind of uh, phrasing and words. In John 20, when when Jesus gathers the apostles in the upper room after he's ascended, he says to them, he's commissioning them to go out and to be his his apostles, sent out ones. And you know what he does? In John 20, you can look it up, he says that he, he breathes on them. It's kind of a weird, it's kind of a, a strange thing. Like what did Jesus' breath taste like or smell like, right? What, what is he? What, what, no, it's the sense of why would they explain it that way? Why would John use the explanation of Jesus breathing on his disciples? It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and I looked at and one commentator said that exact phrasing is almost the exact sentence structure as Genesis 2-7 where God says he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life. We see Jesus breathing a new life into people who had been dead in their trespasses and sin and now are alive to walk in the Spirit of God. John 3, 7, we see also that this picture is a beautiful rendition, a beautiful understanding of, of how we see and, and, and witness the Spirit even work today. In the past, the promise of the Holy Spirit that was to come. In John 3 as well, we see, we see as this has progressed from Joel to Ezekiel to the Old Testament, now to Jesus as he's embodying. And it actually says that Jesus was full of the Spirit when he left in the baptism there and then went to the wilderness full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit. It's something that's very clear in the New Testament. Then in John, Nicodemus comes to him, and Nicodemus is like, How is it that I'm born again? I don't understand all these things. What is it that I should do to be born again? And he says, Born of water and of the Spirit. John 3 7, he says, Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Do not marvel that you must be born again, for he says, The wind blows where it wishes. The wind, the breath, it blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The effects of the wind are seen. I can see the winds rustling the trees. I, the wind is not seen by faith, not by sight. The, wi- the effects of the new birth are seen and felt, but the birth of the Holy Spirit, this, this is not always seen in the same manner as we experience other things. The effects of it in the long term and producing fruit are often seen. And so we see this in the sound and the wind and the rattling, the earthquake in verse seven of Acts two. The coming down there where it actually says that uh, even here I think it is even in verse seven of Ezekiel 37, it talks about how, it, how the wind came. And there was a sound, and it was from the four corners. This is verse 9, the four corners of the four winds, it says. This wind came from every corner of the globe and brought all people, the spirit of unity of the world, really, you would. And he puts his spirit within us, and we shall live. And Pentecost is this amazing story of the spirit of God falling, but it's not here as it's falling just upon the Jewish people. Where does the Bible say in Acts 1 8? You shall receive power when it comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. And we see that in the Old Testament, and it, we see it being worked out in the book of Acts. It's an incredible book. As it transitions us from thinking of Jesus in the flesh and the Old Covenant, as that transition has happened, and then Acts transitions us to walk now in the realm of the Holy Spirit. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is that like today? The Acts of the Apostles could also just be called the actions of the Holy Spirit. As Luke writes this book about Jesus and then writes this book about Acts, which is really about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit builds his church. And it's an unpredictable thing. It's a transforming, powerful thing. It's something that I fully don't even understand or grasp. But we see in Acts chapter two, this amazing Pentecost falling upon Jerusalem, primarily Jewish people there. The Spirit of God has filled the Jewish people, the first fruits, the people of God. The Jewish Pentecost, the spirit that comes upon these believers, they submit to baptism and then they go out from there all over to the places. But then also we trace through the book of Acts, and Acts, and I don't have time to go into all these passages, we'd love to do this some other time, but in Acts chapter 8, uh, we see the Samaritan Pentecost, if you would, this Jewish Pentecost and then the Samaritans. How did the Jews and the Samaritans get along together? Did they get along? Did they work? You know, buddy, buddy? No. And yet, so would it have been difficult in the early church if the Holy Spirit had only fallen upon the Jewish people in Jerusalem but had not come to the Samaritans? But Rather, God is very aware of these things. He is very aware that this is a spirit that is not here just for this group, but for the world. And the spirit falls in Acts 8. You can look at the stories there with Philip and the Samaritans believe and there's a variety of things that similar and yet different. The speaking in tongues and the baptism and all these things that happen in Acts 2 and Acts 8. And yet the Ethiopian eunuch right after that in Acts 8 as he then goes to Ethiopia and Africa with the gospel as he's miraculously changed in the spirit of God and baptized as well. And then we see as you keep reading in Acts chapter 10, there's an amazing experience of the Gentile Pentecost. Or this, this spirit of God that falls upon also on Gentile people and Roman soldiers, guys like Cornelius. And what if the spirit had only fallen on the Jewish people and the Samaritans, Oh, but it also went to Judea and to the ends of the earth. And God has this amazing, beautiful experience with Cornelius and other Gentile people that are non-Jews there. And the spirit comes and falls on them. And yet, again, things are similar and yet different from Acts 2 and 8. And yet what's clear is the spirit of God filling the people of God in a miraculous and amazing way. And then you get an experience, if you keep reading, you'll, you'll follow Paul and you'll read in Acts chapter 19 this kind of disciples of John baptism or, or, or you could say um, Pentecost as well where, where those who were living in an understanding about Jesus of who he was in the old covenant and what he would come to be. They believed and they repented but they didn't even know Jesus had died and risen from the dead and they didn't even know that the Holy Spirit had come, why? Because there was no social media. They just post this and all of a sudden everybody knew about it right and yet so here back then they're living and traveling and all of a sudden they encounter Paul and other apostles and, and they're like we didn't even hear about the Holy Spirit this is incredible won't you tell us and they preach to them the gospel and there's this miraculous transformation in their lives as well as they come into an understanding and as they come into a baptism of the Holy Spirit and walk in its fullness and it's a, it's a beautiful thing and I think in so many ways that has extended even here today As we follow today, as we keep following the work of the Holy Spirit over history, over 2,000 years of history, that the Spirit of God has been building His church. And so what difference did Jesus' death make? And if you think about Jesus' dying in that period of in-between, what difference did it make? Well, it made a huge difference, did it not? it opened the door for the spirit of God to come and fill all flesh the weeds are rooted out and now the soil is ready to be cultivated and the growth is happening and the harvest is plenty the dam has broken and the water is rushing in Jesus' death and resurrection you see people are still going to in a sense you could say live and die physically on this earth even after Jesus died and maybe some of the disciples were like is this it? Jesus died and rose again and and what's the difference? like we're still afraid so (laughs) what's going on? And then all of a sudden, Pentecost happens. It's like, this is the difference. This is what I have allowed to happen. This is what my death and resurrection has brought upon the world. Has promised the blessing of the world. His death and resurrection makes way for spirit to fill all flesh, all corners. God's redemptive plan to come to fruition. What has been prophesied. He gives life to dry bones. And he gives life to you and me today. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. He then empowers the church, and I don't have time to get into it, of gifts of the Holy Spirit where we walk into those gifts and we live out to equip one another. Our gifts are not for ourselves but to equip each other and to build up the church. And there's a variety of gifts in the New Testament that are described. So many different things of mercy and all these administration and teaching. Some are maybe more well known or you can see them more readily. Others are behind the scenes yet just as important. The gifts of the Holy Spirit or the spiritual gifts, you could say. There's also phrasing speaking about the gift of the Spirit or baptism in the Spirit. I often see that as the the gift of the Spirit, this initial blessing of salvation that occurs upon someone believes and has faith in Jesus Christ. They are then cleansed. The word could be regeneration or cleansing. They're they're now open to be filled with the Spirit. And it's this beautiful uh, relationship that now what we are called to do as we walk in our baptism, as we live it in and out every day as the people of God we are called and commanded I guess I could say as I try to finish with, with this command that we as the people of God okay this is great what do we know about the spirit what, it's this thing that's great. Well, what am I supposed to do not what preachers are supposed to always <laughs> leave you not just teach you about it like, alright now what do you do well the Bible is very clear and, it, and it's I think more complicated we make it more complicated than it is but in the New Testament it gives us a very clear depiction that you are commanded now it's not very often in the New Testament where it does that, but it gives you a command. It says, it, it likens it to, to being drunk and to being sober-minded. It gives this picture in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, meaning you are, not, you are controlled by a substance, not the Spirit. And it says, do not be controlled by some other substance, but rather, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Every life is like this container. We are, we are jars of clay, the Bible says. We are vessels to be filled And there is a personal relationship that I have with the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit is not this force, this ethereal other thing that is just out there floating above us, but it is a person. It is recognized in the Bible as the third person of the Trinity. And I have a personal relationship with that spirit because the Bible says that I can grieve the Holy Spirit and I can quench the Holy Spirit. But I am also capable and able of being filled with the Holy Spirit because I'm walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? I'm walking in step. Genesis 5 speaks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit which is the clear evidence of the Spirit working in your life. No, the clear evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life is not always an explosion and an extraordinary thing that you might experience, although it might. But often, and most often, the norm of the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life is Galatians 5.22. is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, mercy, self-control those things that are growing like a fruit in your life. You give evidence to those, to others, that the Holy Spirit is active and working in your life. But just like a plant that needs to be watered is the same sense that we walk in this spirit that we need to be filled in it. Just like a container can be emptied. We must be filled with this spirit. And I know those illustrations don't work perfectly or gassing up a car. The, the, the illustrations just end up not being perfectly unison here. But the, the concept of Of working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says to work it out on your own, right? Oh wait, but it also says for it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. This is that unison that we walk, we keep in step with the spirit as it leads us into the way of righteousness and holiness and sanctification. It makes us more and more like God. It makes our lives look less and like the works of the flesh and as we sow seeds more and more into the spirit, we grow in sanctification and spiritual maturity and our lives resemble more and more like the person of Jesus Christ, the the one we are seeking to emulate and imitate with our lives and others then are blessed with the fruit of our lives because we are keeping in step with the spirit. So the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit. Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, don't just sit around all day. (laughs) If we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And that is our calling today as the church of God, that we would walk in relationship with, and understanding that relationship with the Holy Spirit. And no, it's not something you understand today or tomorrow, but it's something that is this lifelong journey of walking and keeping in step with the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit of God. And I pray that that would be something our church aims for and seeks for as we seek to understand the amazing person and the power of the Holy Spirit that came on Pentecost and we walk in today. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you today humbled and maybe even um, maybe even encouraged I hope but Lord also just itching to, to learn more about the spirit and walk in a deeper relationship with you God we, we recognize that you're with us and yet sometimes we fully don't understand what that means and looks like so God give us wisdom give us understanding as we walk in your way Lord we thank you that your grace is for us who, <laughs> who need it so desperately that you are gracious with us. You are patient with us. And today you have taught us about your spirit, Lord. I pray that you would encourage us to walk out of these doors today singing about the grace that you have given to the world, the mercy that you have given us, Lord, and the new life and the new spirit that you have planted within us. Lord, that that would be what we hope for, what we aim for, what our goal of a church is. The fruit of the Spirit would be evidence from our lives and from this place. And people and the world would be blessed with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.